The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. Of Genesis. So if you've not yet, please uh, take your copy of God's Word, or if you need a Bible, stretch out your hand for the Bible in the pew rack there, and let's open together to Genesis 32. Genesis 32, it's on page 27. We have been uh, looking at the life, uh, the lives of both the second and third generation patriarchs, uh, Isaac and Jacob, with special attention here in the last several weeks and months on Jacob himself, the life of Jacob. This morning in Genesis 32, uh, we are going to see, uh, in addition to the, the well-known portion of Jacob's ladder, we looked at that several weeks ago, uh, the text that we're coming to this morning in Genesis 32 is another one of the kind of most famous episodes of Jacob's life where we will find Jacob wrestling with God. Uh, it's a fascinating chapter. You'll see that there in the middle, Jacob wrestles uh, with God. So as you're turning there to Genesis 32, or if you're already there, let me give you just a brief word of context so we can orient ourselves to the text this morning and hear God's word with understanding that uh, if you look back into Genesis chapter 31, Genesis 31 and verse 3, Jacob has gone from his homeland and been away from home for 20 years, uh, gone to his father-in-law Laban's homeland and there to have uh, his wives, and he has been called back. Genesis 31, verse 3, the Lord says to Jacob, come back home. So Jacob is going back home after a 20-year span, and as he is headed back home, he is faced with the prospect of coming face-to-face with his brother Esau, who if you turn even further back into Genesis 27, at the end of Genesis 27 at verse 41, the last time we saw or heard from Esau, it was Esau's plan to kill his brother Jacob because Jacob had effectively stolen from Esau his birthright and blessing, which he believed belonged to him. Jacob manipulated Esau, stole it from him. And the last thing we heard from Esau in Genesis 27, 41 is that Esau intends to kill Jacob. 20 years later, Jacob remembers that the last time he saw his brother, uh, he had vengeance in his eyes. And he's going back home anyway, faced with the prospect of seeing his brother again, who he believes is intent to kill him. So Genesis 32 finds us just before Jacob is heading back, and he's on the way just before he's going to become face-to-face with his brother Esau. What we're going to see this morning is uh, when you and I walk through life, uh, we have circumstances around us and circumstances about us that threaten us to come to the conclusion that God's word and promises are not true because of the difficulty we see around us. We hear God's word But then we look around and we say, His promises can't be true because of these difficulties I face. Rather than realizing God's Word is given in the midst of difficulties and we are to trust Him. You see, you have a choice to make when you are faced with life's and circumstances, seeing difficulties, seeing struggles. You can say, God's Word is true and I will believe it by faith. Or you can say, I'm going to choose to live only by sight and come to the conclusion that God doesn't know what He's talking about after all in light of everything that I'm seeing. So that's an issue that we find and we'll see Jacob facing as well. Let's pray and ask God to bless His Word to us this morning. Heavenly Father, 
We turn now to your word, believing that here you speak to us the words of everlasting life. That as you have given us these words by holy inspiration of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that that same Holy Spirit might rest upon our hearts to give us faith and understanding, to give us illumination of mind that we might read and mark and learn and inwardly receive these spiritual truths so that the seed of your word might find good soil in our hearts and spring forth fruit to the glory of your name. So, Father, come now, speak your word to your people, and cause us to rejoice and obey, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And now hear God's word, Genesis 32. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I might find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, We came to your brother Esau and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good, and make your offspring as the sand of the sea which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him he took a present for his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. These he handed over to his servants. Every drove by itself and said to his servant, Pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. And instructed the first, When Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, To whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my Lord Esau, and moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and third and all who followed the droves, you shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him, and you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us, for he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he stayed himself that night in the camp. The same night he arose and took his two wives and his female servants and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is broken. 
But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. May he write truth on our hearts today. Uh, What you find in Genesis 32 is uh, something of the next great event of God working in Jacob's life to make Jacob the man that God has called him to be. Uh, Jacob throughout his life has been a swindler, a cheat, a schemer, a deceiver. He's been manipulating his way through life, but in the last couple episodes of Jacob's life, we've seen the Lord work through circumstances to confront Jacob with the reality of who God is. And we finally see Jacob in obedience, bowing down before God, in obedience saying, yes, Lord, I will follow where you call me. Uh, And that does not happen quickly. It's taken a long season in Jacob's life And the reality is is that in many of our lives as well, God's work takes seasons and years and and long periods where He brings us to terms with the truth of His Word and the reality of His promises such that we learn to trust Him rather than walk only by sight. We learn to live by faith. And Jacob has done that as well. But God's not through with Jacob yet. And God is not through with you yet either. And there are lessons still that you and I have to learn. And this morning is a, a very significant one. So let's see Jacob in, in three parts here. First of all, his return, and then his wrestling, and then his limping. Jacob returning, Jacob wrestling, Jacob limping along. First of all, Jacob's return. Uh, remember that uh, we find Jacob here now 20 years after the fact, and he's going home. Genesis 32 verse 1 says, Jacob went on his way meaning he's left Laban, he has left the far country, and he is headed west back home. And the, the Bible says that, that angels attended to him. It's the words of Psalm 91, that God will send his angels to attend you and give you strength. There is Jacob in need of strength because he's very much afraid of the reality that as he comes back home, he's coming back again face to face with Esau. We find that detail uh, that Esau is coming out to meet him, in fact, actually. There in verse 6, Jacob is intent to go out and see Jacob, uh, to see Esau, but he learns, no, that actually Esau has heard, Jacob, that you're coming, and he's coming to meet you, and he's bringing 400 men with him. Now, if you were Jacob, you would have to be asking the question, is Esau coming in peace, or is he coming with vengeance? Because it seems that he's bringing an army with him. What's this about to transpire? Jacob is understandably distressed, fearful. Verse 7 says, Then Jacob was greatly afraid. So he divides the people into two different camps. He takes practical measures. But what I want you to see most of all is that Jacob is now going to fall down on his knees 
before God. What you see in verses 9-12 through is Jacob praying the longest prayer in the entire book of Genesis. And actually one of the first times we find Jacob praying ever. And in Jacob's prayer, we see this beautiful picture of a man in distress. Now, you and I have often been in moments of distress. And we have to ask, how did we pray? Notice how Jacob prays. He doesn't just pray, Lord, I'm in a mess and help me. Deliver me from this mess. No, he says, Lord, this is who you are. This is who you are in the midst of where I find myself. In verse 9, Jacob says, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, this is who you are. And this is what you have said to me. You are the one who said, Return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. Lord, this is who you are and this is what you said to me. I see my circumstances. I am afraid, but Lord, you gave your promise and Lord, you gave your word. We don't find Jacob in some kind of panic that says, Lord, I'm in a mess. Save me. Do whatever I tell you. Deliver me from this mess. No, he says, Lord, this is who you are. And I acknowledge that who you are is true. And I acknowledge that your word is true. And I hope in it. Jacob is here acknowledging that his life is in God's hands. Verse 11 says, Please deliver me from the hand of my brother. Now, if we would have found Jacob in this similar situation 20 years ago, before he would have reached some spiritual maturity, we would have found Jacob scheming and coming up with some maniacal plan to trick Esau, to come up with some sort of deception and do an end around and come up on Esau from the backside, sneak up on him. He would have done something to trick him. No, but now he says, Lord, my life is in your hand. I'm going to take an appropriate measure to divide my camps, but I'm not going to deceive Esau. I'm going to come out and meet him face to face. He acknowledges that his life is in God's hands. And in this, we find a great maturity in Jacob. Lord, I trust your word even in the face of my fears. It reminds us that you can trust God's word and promise even when what you see around you scares you to death. Because God's word is always true. The man coming back is a totally changed man. The Jacob we see here is a totally changed man. And we'll see it even more so in this next section of Jacob's wrestling. But what he's done here is he's sent everyone ahead of him. He sends everyone across the river and Jacob stays behind to pray. And what we find in the night is that uh, suddenly he's seized. And this is the most interesting part of the chapter to be sure. And I imagine you might have a lot of questions about it. He's suddenly seized by a man in the dark. But we see that this is no ordinary man. This is some manifestation of God Himself. God has come to wrestle Jacob. And Jacob is going to wrestle back. What you have here is this really dramatic episode which is quite thematic and representative of Jacob's whole life. Jacob has spent his whole life wrestling with God in the sense of hearing God's word but failing to obey, hearing God's promise but making his own way. Jacob's whole life has been one of wrestling, but here now that wrestling comes into the literal reality of actually wrestling with God. Why does God do this? Why is God wrestling Jacob? What's God's purpose? Jacob has nothing left. He sent everything across the river, and now Jacob is here alone, but that's what God wants to do. God wants to deal with Jacob. He wrestles with Jacob as a trial of Jacob's 
strength. Now here you might be wondering, you know, that's really strange. And I want to acknowledge to you that God working in this way is not normative in the Bible. This is unique. And we should expect to find some unique instances and occurrences in the life of the patriarchs, these special individuals. It's not normative, so I don't want you to think that God is going to come out and pile drive you in the middle of the night and something like that. That's not what is happening that we should read in this sense. It's not normative. And the way you should think about this wrestling is actually quite beautiful. Because it is not the type of wrestling that you would imagine where, where one person is against the other and there is equal strength and equal wrestling and no one's having the upper hand and the description says is they're wrestling all night long and you might be wondering, can Jacob out-wrestle God? And I don't want you to picture it like that. What you should rather picture this wrestling is, picture it like this, picture, picture a father wrestling with his three-year-old son. And the father is able to exert just enough strength that the son feels like he's working against his father and they could go all night long and the father does just enough to let the son keep at it and keep at it and keep at it all night long, as it were. So long as the child has strength and energy, the father lets the son continue to go. It's wrestling in this type of way for Jacob to exert himself and God to let Jacob exert himself and yet never win and yet continue to wrestle, believing that he might just win if he could go a little bit more and get the next move in the upper hand. Look, if God wanted to, as it were, pin Jacob on his back, it would take no effort. You understand? This is the God who created all things out of nothing by the word of His power. The Almighty is not a bad wrestler, okay? But the reality is, is that it's not the point that God is in combat with Jacob, but rather that He is doing this to teach Jacob a lesson. The point is, Jacob, I'm going to wear you down. Jacob, when you have nothing left, I'm going to find out, Jacob, who you really are and what you really want and how far you're willing to go to trust me. Such so that in verse 25, we, we see uh, the man touching Jacob's hip, putting Jacob's hip out of place even. Uh, God cripples Jacob's hip to get to his heart. We see there in verse 26, God is saying, let me go. This picture is that Jacob is holding on to his opponent, not letting him go. And God says, let me go, let me go, verse 26. And also in verse 26, Jacob says, no, I will not let you go. I will cling to you until you, see it in verse 26, until you bless me. Jacob is clinging to the promise. And it is as if God is giving Jacob the opportunity to walk away. God is giving Jacob the opportunity to say, you know what? Forget it. You know what? I don't want to go back to my homeland. I don't want to face my brother. I'll go live anywhere else. I will go away. Forget it. It's as if God is saying, no, let me go. You can go off and have your own way, you know? And Jacob says, no. Jacob says, no, I will not let you go. I will not let go of the promise, even though I fear Esau and everything about meeting him face to face. I will not let you go because I want your blessing. God has piled blessings of protection and provision upon Jacob, but here he is talking about the blessing, the covenant blessing. And notice in this interaction, in verse 27, and he, that is God, says to him, what is your name? that sound familiar? 
you remember in Genesis chapter 3, God says to Adam in the garden, where are you? Not because God doesn't know. Not because God is not omniscient to know exactly where Adam is as he hides. But to draw out from Adam the reality of what he has done. And when God says to Jacob, what's your name? It's not because he doesn't know Jacob's name. But because he wants Jacob to come to terms with the reality of who he is. Do you remember what Jacob's name means? Back in Genesis 25 when he's born, he's given the name Jacob because he's a heel grabber. Do you remember he's born at the same time as his brother Esau? Esau is born first, but Jacob is born just after him grabbing the heel of Esau. So Jacob's name means heel grabber. Jacob's name literally means cheater. It means twister, deceiver. That's who Jacob is. That's who Jacob has been his whole life. A cheater, a liar, a deceiver. And when God says, what's your name? It's because he's having Jacob come to terms with the reality of the truth of who he is and who he's been. I'm Jacob. I'm Jacob. That's who I've been. I've been a liar. I've been a cheater. So notice he says, you've got a new name. You have a new name now, verse 28. Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. You know, we've seen this in other pages of the New Testament. Abram is named Abraham and Sarai is named Sarah. Their names are amplified, but here's an instance where God gives an entirely new name. No longer will you be called Jacob, deceiver, but you will be called Israel, because you have striven with God. And this is where we find for the first time the name Israel, which is going to become the people of God. This story in Genesis uh, 32 is here how Israel gets its name because Jacob's name is now called Israel because God continues to be at work in Jacob's life. But hear very clearly that God's work in Jacob's life isn't fundamentally about changing Jacob's circumstances as it is about changing Jacob. And God's work in your life isn't principally about changing your circumstances, but changing you so that you face your circumstances as a new person with faith and confidence in God rather than in yourself. That's what this passage is saying to us. Jacob's wrestling with God is God's teaching Jacob that he must rest in God's truth and promises. So then, what you find then in verse 31, verse 31 says, The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that's in the hip socket. There's Jacob limping along, limping along toward Esau to catch up with his family and all of his property that he set out in front of him. There is Jacob now, a changed man. He's given into Esau's hands all of these gifts. In a sense, he has repaid the blessing that he stole from him by saying, here's all of these things, you can have them. And there he goes about limping Along and the sun is risen upon him. And what you have in this picture is a picture of, quite frankly, the life of the ordinary Christian believer. Dislocated, humbled in weakness and independence, 
but the sun has risen upon them. It's a picture of grace. If you're not familiar with the story of uh, John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, it's one of the most important books of literature in the English tradition, but especially the Christian tradition. It's a story of a pilgrim who goes on a journey. He comes into the, the Christian life through the narrow gate, and at the gate, the, the gatekeeper says to Christian, just so you know, the way to the celestial city, it's clear all the way. It's a narrow path, but the way is clear the whole way. Just follow the path. Just follow the narrow path, and you'll make it straight there. But he does warn Christian that along the way, there are a lot of different paths that cross the narrow path encouraging you to take this turn or that turn, but he says to Christian, stay on the narrow path. And what Christian does is he walks along, going along the narrow path, and time and time again, he takes another way. He takes a shortcut. He takes a bypass. He thinks he knows a better way, and he takes a different way and a different track. And every time he realizes what he's done, he says, oh no, I did it again. I didn't stay on the narrow path. And he says, I need to return and go back. His whole journey along is about making progress, but it's a stumbling progress because it's one wrong turn after the next wrong turn after the next wrong turn and going back to the path and back to the path and back to the path again and again and again. So many times Christian says, I've strayed along the path so that he would realize that when he finally makes it to the celestial city, he doesn't march triumphantly into the city in his own strength, but he limps into the city realizing that I only got here by grace because if it were up to me, I would have continued to take every wrong path, but God has brought me back to the narrow path again and again and again through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me home. And that's, that's what's happened to Jacob because God's purposes for the toils and snares, God's purposes for the wrestling of Jacob is to bring Jacob to a place when he will forever walk with this limp of humility and dependence. There is no physical therapy. There is no chiropractic adjustment for Jacob here. He's always going to have this limp, and that's the point, because he is forever going to be changed to learn to limp along in humble dependence upon God rather than proud strutting. And as he limps along, the sun has risen upon him. It's a beautiful picture. In fact, Rembrandt, the great Renaissance painter, painted this scene, but he painted the scene of Jacob wrestling the angel. But it would have been better for him to paint, I think, this last scene of Jacob limping along with a sunrise upon him and the confidence of knowing God's promises because it's the picture of the Christian life. Now listen, if you're tempted to see this and say, my goodness, how in the world is this good news? And how in the world is this helpful? And how in the world does this have anything to do actually with Jesus? Let me give you the very short answer because I think I'll also reveal to you the way I read this passage itself. Because the one who wrestled Jacob a pre-incarnate Christ wrestled Jacob. And that same man, that same one who wrestled Jacob, the angel of the Lord, was the same one who would many generations later wrestle with his father all night in the Garden of Gethsemane. Wrestling all night, saying, let this cup pass from me. But I will not let you go. Jesus says, not until you bless me, but until you bless them, my people. 
Jesus wrestled all night and went forward in obedience to the cross, becoming a curse for us so that we might know God's blessing. And this story teaches us that to be a Christian is to walk with a limp. Is to walk with the air of humility about ourselves because we know the blessing of the forgiveness of sins, I hope, and also the blessing of humility and dependence. But what God does in Jacob's life is at the same time totally unique. Meaning again, I don't intend to suggest to you that God is going to come wrestle you this afternoon or tomorrow night. On the one hand, it's utterly unique, but on the same time, it is a picture of what he does in the life of all of his children. Bringing us to a place of rather than our proud strutting along in arrogance, we learn to limp along but realize that we do so with the sunrise upon us, the sunrise of God's grace and the power of resurrection and the new life that is ours through the resurrection of Jesus Christ is alive in us and we are new people going about our lives trusting in God's purposes, trusting in God's power, believing God's promises. So, do you know what it means to walk with a limp and trust the Lord in humility and independence? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray now that Your Word would be a blessing to us and that having spoken Your Word to us, that You would also lead us to obedience and lead us to faith and lead us to trust that we might be a people who rest not in our own confidence and in our own strength, but rather rest in Your grace and in Your promises. So Lord, be to us our God and be to us our Savior. By faith alone we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.